so good to be with you. Uh, on today, I just want to say uh, happy belated Juneteenth, but specifically, I want to say happy Father's Day to you. And thank you to all of those who, who stand in the gaps, who help and assist and serve as fathers to uh, the fatherless. So this morning, thank God for those who choose to step in and be of service that way. And as we do each Father's Day, each Mother's Day, uh, we like to uh, spotlight a particular individual whom we think uh, we can learn from, but most importantly, someone who points us to Jesus. Uh, so we'll be doing that this morning. Uh, so turn with me to the book of Amos, and we're going to be in the first chapter. And as you turn, I just uh, want to be mindful that as we are in the book of Amos, I really believe the Lord uh, is speaking directly to where we are today. Uh, we spent a few weeks in our weekly Bible study that takes place Tuesday through Friday at 11 a.m., and we walked through the entire book of Amos, and it was such a joy to go through, and the Lord just really excited my heart, and I began to think, like, we should, we should preach through this. So here we are, uh, but, but I was really struck by how similar the events Amos writes about are to the very events that we're going through even today. We would do well to take a note of warning from these words we find in the book of Amos. Uh, because as you know, over, over recent uh, weeks, uh, a, a, a new awareness uh, to matters of social justice uh, in America has been front and center. And I specifically say a new awareness because this has been a conversation that has been going on for hundreds of years here in America. And as these, uh, this new awareness has come, many are offering their opinion of uh, how you should respond, how you shouldn't respond, or what you should do or, or, or what you shouldn't do. Uh, and whenever we come to conversations like, like, like this, as Christians, what we need to be most mindful of is not what everyone else is saying right now because people are going to say what they say. But we just want to make sure that our framework and our foundation comes out of, well, what does God say? What does God say about these issues? And that's what we're going to look at today because really God has so much to say all throughout Scripture about social justice. Uh, social injustice uh, aren't bad words to God. And, and, and one particular place that we see God's heart uh, regarding uh, justice is in this book of Amos. So over, over the next several weeks, uh, we'll be doing a Old Testament survey type uh, look at this book. And uh, the title of this series uh, uh, I, I, I want to give to this is No Justice, No Judgment. No justice, N-O justice, K-N-O-W, judgment. So let's jump right into Amos, the first chapter, as we introduce the, uh, we're introduced to the man that God uses to speak on his behalf to all of Israel. Amos, the first chapter, and we'll just be looking at verses 1 and 2 this morning. So Amos, the first chapter, verses 1 and 2, this is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. The words of Amos 
who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. I'd just like to place a tag upon the text for us this morning. Glory found in the ordinary. Glory found in the ordinary. I want you to pray with me this morning. Gracious and eternal Father, thank you for being kind, being merciful, and being great. And Father, as we stand right here, right now, as simple, ordinary, broken people, we do glory in you. We thank you that you have so chosen to reveal yourself to us through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for your, your mercy and tender kindness and even allowing us to see this day. And Father, as we come before your word this morning, I pray that you would pour out your spirit in a uh, powerful and mighty way that we will see how awesome you genuinely are. We will see just how worthy of our praise, worthy of our affection, worthy of our adoration right now, Lord. Help us to draw near to you. Give us a deep hunger and thirst for righteousness as the deer pants for flowing streams of water, our God. Please help us to yearn for you now. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts ready, willing, and able to receive what thus saith the Lord. And Father, in these matters that we're going to discuss, please challenge us, convict us. But Father, ultimately, we pray that you would deliver us, that you would receive maximum glory from our weak lives. But indeed, you receive glory from that which is ordinary. And thank you for that. Now, Father, I ask that you would use me and my weak words to make much of Jesus Christ and that you would exalt yourself right now in the name of Jesus. For it is for his glory and namesake we do pray. Amen. You know, in his I Have a Dream speech, at the March on Washington uh, on August the 28th, 1963, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. uttered these words. No, no, we are not satisfied, and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. This quote he speaks is from Amos, the fifth chapter, in the 24th verse. And that quote from the book of Amos actually strikes at the very heart of religious hypocrisy regarding matters of social justice. Dr. King's his use of biblical language often served as the foundation and framework for the right and ethical treatment of image bearers and was meant to soberly call attention to the greater question at hand of whether America would truly be one nation under God or not. America is not the first nation who's failed to live up to his promise, and neither will it be the last nation to fail. But here in the book of Amos, the, 
the northern kingdom of Israel is being called out because they failed to be a nation under God. Amos gives voice to God's pending judgment that is coming upon them because of Israel's their, because of their religious apostasy. Remember, apostasy is a turning away from the things of God, a turning your back on God. So at this point, Israel had turned their back on God. There was moral and social collapse within this nation, but then also it was filled with political corruption. Instead of being a a beacon of hope uh, to the nations that Israel would come in contact, Israel was now known as a a nation uh, uh, full of idolaters, those with much affluence, like we said, filled with corruption, religious hypocrisy, social injustice, and exploitation. You know, God wants his people to understand that if if they continue to live like this, to live as a people filled with idolatry and selfishness, then they would experience his judgment. If Israel continued to be a people with no justice, then they would know judgment. And this morning being Father's Day, I I, I actually want us to focus specifically on the man God uses to deliver this message of judgment to Israel. Uh, In verse first, in verse uh, in the first verse, we, we, we see that God has commissioned a man named Amos to fill the role of preacher, prophet, and even sometimes poet uh, to his people, to Israel. And we don't, we don't know much about Amos. Uh, he's not all throughout the text of Scripture. What we know comes from this chapter primarily. Uh, but what we do see in this book of the Bible is that Amos was a pretty ordinary man. The text here shows us that he was a shepherd, and later on in this, in this book, we see that he was also a, a fig tree farmer, so he was a hard-working dude, two jobs. Uh, he was uh, from a hard-working farming region uh, in the southern kingdom of Judah uh, by the name of Tekoa, which was about 10 miles south of Jerusalem and five miles south of Bethlehem. But I think the key in this text and what's so important to us today is the fact that Amos was not a professional. He didn't claim to be one who had been uh, taught and schooled and trained to be a prophet for God. As a matter of fact, in in Amos, the seventh chapter, it it, it is a striking conversation he has with, with someone at the temple in northern Israel who is a professional uh, a, a priest, and, 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 and what Amos says to him stands out. Look here with me in Amos, the seventh chapter, verses 14 and 15. After Amaziah, the priest in Bethel, uh, complains to Amos about what he's talking about, Amos just says, look, I'm just doing my job. I'm letting you know, in verse 14, I was no prophet, 
nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Amos is saying, I was minding my own business. I wasn't thinking about dealing with y'all, but the Lord came and got me. I was just an ordinary dude. Amos has no supernatural skills. He has no college degrees, no theological training, no exalted office that he can stick his name to. But, but what I believe is that this is exactly the point that God is making to us today. God is saying when it comes to be, being used of him, it's, it doesn't start with I. It starts with God. Many times we think that in order to be used in ministry, it starts with I, what I want to do, what skills I think I have, or what's not, what, I, what I think is good for me. And it's me, me, me. What God is saying, I'm not worried about you. What you need to be worried is about me. And if I have a call on your life, that means I have work for you to do. And beloved, unfortunately, within the church, we have this professionalized idea of ministry. We can, we can believe that, that actual ministry is only to work for the pastor. Or uh, the work of ministry is, is only for those who have come on staff to the church and are receiving some type of pay. And, and unfortunately, when we have that type of thought of what ministry is, then when it comes to doing the work of God, we feel that if we're not getting paid for it, then I'm not going to give my best. No, the Lord is not calling us to that type of professionalized ideal of ministry. He is saying that we all have work to do. And if he chooses to give us a salary or not, we still have work to do. You know, honestly, by, by God's grace, my first ministry paycheck was when we moved down here in 2010 to be a part of Forest Baptist Church. See, the ministry I was involved in all those years before in Michigan, that those weren't paid positions, but, but the Lord was grooming me and teaching me and, and using me in that moment because he had a work for me to do even back then. So it wasn't just this sense of when I get or when I obtain. The Lord is saying, I don't care where you are in the midst of your progression during this life. If I call you, you need to come so I, so I can use you. This is our big idea for the text this morning, the fact that God places a priority in using the ordinary for his glory. God places a priority in using the ordinary for his glory. Well, how do we know this? We even see this, this type of understanding in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verses 27 through 29. Paul writes, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why, God? Why, 
why are you working in such a way? And he finishes, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God has a habit of using the ordinary to do extraordinary things for his glory because he knows that if it was left to us, we would brag and boast out of our strength. But Lord says, no, I, 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 I want the one who is humble and weak. And when the humble and weak is used, then he is exalted and he is magnified. And in the text uh, that is before us this morning in verses 1 and 2, we see that God uses the ordinary in extraordinary times and in extraordinary ways. Look at verse 1. Because after he introduces himself, he begins to give us the win of his ministry. And he said, in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. What Amos is doing, he's laying out that these actions and these events took place at a specific moment in time. A, a specific moment in history. And, and, I, and I believe that he understood the weightiness of what was taking place, that, that things were going to be so different on the other side of these events because of what God was doing in his life. You know, the other day, Nate and I, we were just riding down the street, and, and he made an interesting point to me. And all the events going on, all the, the, the protests and some of the rioting, some of the exposure of the uh, injustices and police brutality, my, my son, is, he, he turned and said to me, you know what? This moment is going to be in like the history books, like 9-11. What Amos understood was that he was entering a moment in time that would be recorded for all of history. And it would be important for him to do what God called him to do. This is not only a specific time in history, the events surrounding made it an extraordinary time in history. In the history of Israel, this was a time of national disunity. You see, we have Amos from southern Judah speaking to northern Israel. The kingdom was divided. God's people, the ones he brought out of slavery, out of Egypt and gave them a, a promised land, they, they got to a point where they, they, they began to bicker and to fight amongst themselves. And because of sin, the kingdom was torn apart, ripped in half. So in a sense, there is this national disunity. This is a time of economic prosperity and military supremacy for Israel. See, because of uh, the events taking place in the Assyrian government, their military strength and might had been weakened. And and filling that vacuum, uh, Jeroboam came in and he began to uh, take over settlements. He began to expand uh, his kingdom and his reach. And in doing so, they they began to experience an inflow of money, uh, uh, an influx of goods, uh, an influx of prosperity. And because of their their military supremacy at that time, they began to enjoy themselves living how on the hog. 
Not only was this a time of national disunity, a time of economic prosperity and military, military supremacy, this was a time when the rich got richer. Throughout the text of Amos, he explains that the rich, they were doing things. They would have a winter house and a summer house. They were just uh, uh, buying up property for themselves. And then within those houses and uh, in the sixth chapter, he explains that they were putting the nicest furniture, the, the nicest countertops, the nicest uh, appliances. And they, they, was, uh, they were making sure that these homes were plush out. And it was a time where they were completely consumed with the pleasures of life the best food, the best cars, the best vacations, the best clothes. They wanted the best of everything because they believed they deserved it. Just thinking about that makes makes you kind of look like, are we talking about ancient northern Israel? Are we talking about America today? It's like a modern case of affluenza. But then also, this was a time of tremendous religious activity. And the reason why I say religious activity is because Amos points out that they were going to church. They were going to the temple. They were doing all of the superficial uh, religious traditions that would make one think that they were close to God, but on the inside of their hearts, they hated God, and they only loved themselves. Beloved, we are in a day of national disunity. We are in a day of economic prosperity, comparative, and and military supremacy. We are in a day where the rich are getting richer, and we are in a day where there is a whole lot of religious activity. Beloved, if God is not yelling off the pages of this text to us, saying, wake up, wake up, wake up, I don't know what else he's doing. These are extraordinary times in Israel. And what makes this moment so extraordinary, so pivotal, is because because of all these these blessings that they are, are receiving, they actually believe that it is a sign of God's blessing upon their lives. It's God's blessing on their country. When actually, All that they're receiving is an indictment on their sinfulness. They think they got it good because they've been obedient to God, but God is is exposing them right now and saying, the only reason you got it good is because you have been engaging in sinfulness at at such a wicked rate that I'm going to bring judgment. They thought they were receiving God's blessings, but yet at the same time, as the rich got richer, the poor got poorer. In the book of Amos, uh, he points out uh, the, the legal practices and the rackets that were put together to continually crush, marginalize, and oppress the poor. They would have property rackets in the sense that in order for you to even have a sandal, in order for you to even possess anything, you would pretty much have to sell yourself into slavery. Sounds like sharecropping to me. They will have legal rackets. 
in the sense where they would give tax cuts to the rich and they would increase the tax debt for the poor and they would place upon them more work and more taxes and sounds like a poor tax to me. People are, are pretty much taxed just because they're poor. They would have business rackets where the price of grain was different in the hood than it was in the suburbs. Sounds like price gouging to me. Capitalism was Israel's God. Making money was his singular devotion. Beloved, it's in this extraordinary moment that God calls on regular old Amos to go to Israel. And when, we, when I think about God calling Amos, he's, he's like the wrong dude to go. Of all the people that, 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 that could have went to Israel, God chooses Amos. Amos, he, he's from the wrong side of the tracks. Remember I said that there's a northern kingdom and southern kingdom. He's not even from Israel. He's from Judah. And, and, and looking at the writings, we see because the ten tribes that made up the northern kingdom actually looked down on Judah and, and Benjamin, the tribes in the south. So he was from the wrong side of the tracks. Amos was an outsider. He was a minority brought in to speak truth to power and to the affluent majority. This is crazy. <laughs> and God chooses to use Amos in this extraordinary time. Not only does he choose to use Amos for this extraordinary time, God uses this ordinary man in an extraordinary way. Look here at verse 2. And here's the whole point. Amos comes in, and the words are recorded, and he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastor's of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. Amos comes in with a word from God, and he declares that they need to listen because God is speaking. This, this book of Amos is really not about Amos at all. It's about the message that God has given to Amos in order to give to Israel. And verse 2 is a preview of the entire book and what is to come. And, 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 and as Amos declares, the Lord roars from Zion. God is crying out that your wickedness is bringing about judgment. You need to seek me and live. At this time in history, actually under Jeroboam the first. We see in 1 Kings 12 that when the kingdom was split after Solomon's son Rehoboam makes a foolish decision to continue to be oppressive to the people and, 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 the, 
the leadership in Israel splits and, and ten tribes go uh, from the north, say, we're going to have our own nation. And they bring in Jeroboam, the first to be their king. And, and, and one of the first things that he does is he establishes two places of worship, one in Bethel and one at a city called Dan at the very top of Israel. But in those places of worship, he doesn't build an altar for the living God, but he actually builds a temple to false gods. Similar to the same calves that were built on the side of Mount Sinai. And he says, here, Israel, here's your gods. So God is speaking to a deeply idolatrous nation. <laughs> this text is so rich because God is speaking to a nation that was established on idolatry. And he's saying your foundation has been broken. Your foundation is off. And because your foundation was broken, now all of your ways have become uh, so sinful and, and it's so wicked that I need to deal with you. And notice not only that the fact that God is speaking, but notice where he is speaking from. God is speaking from Zion. He is speaking from Jerusalem. He is speaking from the place that he had chosen to dwell with his people. He's speaking from the temple. Think about the temple. What's taking place in the temple? Sacrifices are taking place in the temple. Worship is taking place in the temple. The, uh, uh, the sins of the nations are being uh, covered by the blood of bulls and goats on the altar before the Lord. And in the very temple, we have the supreme picture of judgment and mercy. God is crying out from that seat of judgment and mercy. The altar is the seat of judgment because everything that lays upon that altar needs to die. It is, it is sacrificing and its blood is shed. That's the altar of judgment. But in that same altar, it is the altar of mercy because where that blood is shed, there is a, uh, there is a, a, a covering over of sin in order that they may stand before God. That's mercy. And it's from this seed of judgment and mercy that God cries out to, to, to North Israel and say, you need to hear me because judgment is coming. But through my judgment, mercy will still be found. This was a comprehensive judgment. Stretched from the pastures, the, the low, thriving hills where the shepherds would be, all the way up to the coast of northern Israel where Mark, Mount Carmel was located. He, he's saying, I am crying out judgment and mercy in a comprehensive way. You need to listen. Beloved, we, we need to listen because God is crying out. Judgment is coming, but it's through my judgment that you would actually find mercy. Amos is just an ordinary guy speaking on God's behalf. Did you know that it is an extraordinary 
privilege to speak on God's behalf. To go anywhere and declare what thus saith the Lord. Not, not in the sense that you got to be going anywhere preaching or you got to be in front of her, but, but just the fact that how you live your daily life and the, the, the overflow and the outflow of your mouth, to, uh, the, the, the opportunity to speak God's word, period, to have God's word to do something in your heart, to have God's word in your mind, and that is a privilege that we often overlook. which is partially why we think you have to be so sophisticated or so smart or something or someone special in order to be used of God. But that is not the case. Look at Amos. When God calls on the ordinary, he will get glory. And beloved, I say to you today, you You may be ordinary, but when God calls, the extraordinary comes out. God called an ordinary Noah, and he rescues humanity with the ark. God calls on the ordinary Abraham, and he becomes the father of nations. God calls on the ordinary Esther, and she delivers her people from ethnic cleansing. Uh, God calls on ordinary Nehemiah, and he rebuilds the walls and restores the reputation of God for the nations to see. Uh, but beloved, we, we need more Noahs. We need more uh, Abrahams and Esthers and Nehemiahs today. We need people who are willing, ready, and able to show up, not because they think they're qualified, not because somebody told them they're qualified, but because God has qualified them by giving them a word and a ministry to perform. God wants to use you if you belong to him. But I just want to challenge you quickly. And I want you to see how we need to apply this now. Because we see what Amos did. He got up and went and he did what he was called to do because God called him. But beloved, if we're going to be like Amos, we need to understand to be used of God for the extraordinary, it requires sacrifice. It actually requires you to give up something. We need to give up our time. We need to give up some extracurricular things. We need to actually give up. I mean, look at Amos. Bruh had two jobs, and what he said, he put both his jobs down in order to take care of what God called him to take care of. That's sacrifice. Nowhere do we see him worrying about how his family would be provided for. He just got up and did what God called him to do. Beloved, for you to be faithful to God, for you to uh, fulfill the calling with which he has called you, you're going to have to sacrifice something. You're not going to be able to do everything all day. You're, you're going to have to carve out time in your schedule. You're going to have to go places where you don't want to go. You're going to have to talk to people you really don't want to talk to. But here we, here we go again, because when, when, when we talk about sacrifice, it requires dying to yourself in order to be used of God. To be used of God for the extraordinary requires sacrifice, but then also to be used of God for the extraordinary requires boldness. Why boldness? Here we have Amos going before an entire nation who is nothing like him. 
And as a matter of fact, I'm sure when he rolled up, they were talking about him. But yet, Amos was not deterred by what they thought about him, their opinion of him, or any type of fear of them. But he stood and he delivered what God told him to do. Beloved, if you're going to serve God, you need to stop worrying about what everybody thinks. If you're going to serve God and, and be used of him, you got to stop worrying if it's what you say that's going to be the right thing. Do you study your Bible? Do you pray? Then God wants to use you to speak to us. You got to have a certain boldness, not because you think you're qualified, but because God has already qualified you in his calling. requires sacrifice. It requires boldness. But then lastly, it requires a willingness. A willingness. When I look back at the seventh chapter, when he's talking to Amaziah, and it, and it just says, he, I was with the flock. And the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people. Now, therefore, here the way he's at. The Lord said, go. So, 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 I'm, so I'm willing to go. Use me, Lord. Beloved, are you even willing to be used of God? When the Lord gives you a, a, uh, a nudging and, 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 and a moving and an impression that you need to be doing X, Y, and Z, and you're not even willing to do that. Beloved, I fear I, a little bit, not a lot of bit, but I fear when, when things get back going, and there's a new normal. I fear people, will, they won't even be willing to get up and go to church anymore. But they call themselves Christian. Are you willing to be used of God? Beloved, the Lord wants to give us a rebuke and an encouragement at the same time because we are selfish, and we are fearful, and we are unwilling. And being used of God, that's something that we, we've all failed at many times. And when we look at Amos, there's nothing special about him. But what was special was the fact that his anointing came from his calling because the Lord chose to use him. And because the Lord chose to use him, he gave him every single thing that he needed to be used. If we can just trust that, that if the Lord calls you, he's going to equip you, I believe it would, it would mobilize a whole generation, a new generation of, of people for Christ. If we would just get up and be used, I believe revival could come. If we, if we would stop looking for someone else to volunteer and, and the Lord use us to volunteer, I, I believe we would never have to cry out and, and, and beg for volunteers because everyone would be at the church saying, what can I do? But even as I think about the calling that was on Amos' life, I'm reminded about another. I'm reminded about 
another who had a call on his life. But his calling wasn't to go repeat a word. His call was the fact that he was the word. The fact that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. But now the word has become flesh and now Jesus Christ himself with the calling on his life to lay down his life. The calling to to be free from sin and both thought and deed. The calling to, to perform miracles, to acknowledge and affirm and confirm that he is God, the very God that they should worship. Jesus Christ, whose call was to be hung high and stretched wide, Jesus Christ. That same one whose call was to be uh, buried in a borrowed man's tomb, that Jesus Christ. And his same one who was called to get up on the third day, Jesus Christ. And he is the same one who was called to ascend into glory. And now he is the same one called to sit at the right hand of the Father, to intercede on your behalf. And beloved, he's the same one who was called to come back for his people to establish justice and equity and righteousness. This morning, Jesus is speaking over you. And Jesus is saying, for all of your fears, for all of your excuses, Jesus is saying, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, the, uh, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is an extraordinary time, and God wants to use you in extraordinary ways. God places a priority in using the ordinary for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for your conviction, for this great calling that you have laid upon your people. And even now, O oh Lord, I ask that you would call someone and draw them to yourself, that they would see their sin, and that they would see their need for the, the Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, for us, those who, who belong to you, I pray that you would challenge us. Are we really fulfilling the call by which we were called? Or are we trying to be affluent, prosperous, and comfortable? Because you have not called us to any of those, but you've called us to be on the battlefield. Thank you, O Lord, for your word and for challenging us this morning. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.